All right, well, back to the penultimate cycle of Isaiah. We are, we've been preaching through in the 40s. Again, we've returned to the 40s of Isaiah. I introduced various parts of Isaiah in the 40s uh, during um, the chapters in the 40s and early 50s uh, during uh, kind of holy season all the way through um, Easter Sunday and Pentecost uh, Sunday in that spring season. But we've been working our way back through some of the chapters in Isaiah 40 and uh, in the 40s. And we're going to turn again to a chapter that I introduced and read the first several verses of last Sunday as our final segment of scripture. Isaiah chapter 45. We'll not only read verses 1 through 6 like we did at the close of last Sunday, but we're going to move on through most of Isaiah chapter 45. So I invite you to follow along. We'll read verses 1 through 13, and then uh, verses 18 through 25 of Isaiah 45. Let's pray together. Lord, let us be inspired by, indeed to see, by your grace, through the cross of Christ and his resurrection, Lord, all the way to Holy Zion. And when your peace will reign by the perfect work of Christ and the kingdom that he has ushered in, in its consummation. We pray for that, Lord. And I pray, Lord, on a kind of earth level here for any of us who are struggling right now with where we are, that we would look up and know you and hear from you today instead of doing it our way or other people's way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Isaiah chapter 45, verses 1 through 13, and then 18 through 25. Hear now God's word. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to his Mashiach, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. I will go before you. And level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret places that you may know that it is I, Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord. There is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. There is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make shalom, peace, well-being, and I create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Shower, O heavens, from above and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open, that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. 
Woe to him who strives with him who formed him. A pot among earthen pots, the shards. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles? Woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, with what are you in labor? Thus says Yahweh the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and the one who formed him. Ask me of things to come. Will you command me concerning my children and the work of my hands? I made the earth and I created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens and I commanded all their hosts. I have stirred him up in righteousness, Cyrus up in righteousness, and I will make all his ways level. He, he, that's right, he, shall build my city and set my exiles free, not for price or reward, says Yahweh of the heavenly army, says the Lord of hosts. And then at verse 18, for thus says Yahweh the Lord, who created the heavens, he is God, who formed the earth and made it, he established it, he did not create it empty, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the seed of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Assemble yourselves and come. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there's no other God besides me, a righteous God and a savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me, turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return to me. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me are righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. In the Lord, all the offspring, all the seed of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. When dark clouds rain righteousness. When dark clouds rain righteousness. That's our sermon for today. And let me begin by asking you this basic question. Are dark clouds really dark? Are dark clouds, parents, what do you tell your children about this? Are dark clouds really dark? When we get massive cloud cover, is the sun killed and cut off? You know, a few weeks ago, 
uh, after visiting, uh, on my final day in Scotland, visiting our potential, uh, several potential sites for the church plant we want to help support to re-evangelize the borders down in Gala Shields, I made my way back up to, drove back up to Edinburgh, and we spent the night in Edinburgh, and Thursday morning we were going to be flying out of Edinburgh International Airport. Well, as the day, the glorious Wednesday, but by Thursday evening, typical UK weather finally came in. We'd been blessed with some really sunny days, but the typical, you know, dreary, overcast, massive sheets of clouds getting grayer and grayer into the night. And sure enough, Thursday morning it was raining. Not badly, but it was raining, massive cloud cover, dark clouds all over the place, all over uh, the Lothian area of Scotland, and we're flying out of Edinburgh International Airport. Now, the clouds looked really dark when I was groundbound. When I was groundbound. Are you living your life groundbound? Man, when I was groundbound, it just looked like all it was was black. The whole world was black. <laughs> I mean, it was dark, dreary getting cold, not good. But then something amazing happened. You know that uh, it was a KLM flight, actually, for some reason, they're heading us over to Amsterdam, you know, to make the connection back to the United States. So we're, we're, we're flying out of Edinburgh, on, and the, the, the plane rises up above several levels of cloud cover. And all of a sudden, guess what I saw? Brilliant sunlight. Oh man, it was beautiful. 11 in the morning, sun shining bright. And when I look back down at those dark clouds, what did they look like from above? They were glistening white. It was a matter of perspective. I mean, all of life and definitely the issue of faith, of course, depends on, are you looking from God's view or your view or the, all the pundits that you wanna to listen to all the time? Hmm? Dark clouds, it turns out, aren't really dark. Of course, that's an issue with all those um, countless microscopic water droplets and the molecules and the way light works and, you know, spins out color to our fleshly eyes. Clouds aren't dark. They're just thick. And when they get really thick, they start looking darker and darker and they cut off the sun. Interesting thing is you can get a cloud that looks dark, but, but if there's an aperture from the ground and you can see the sun, sometimes it looks white on the side. Y'all ever notice that and can be glistening on the side? Just a matter of perspective. Heavy clouds, the heavier they get, the more we're tempted to say everything's black and the sun and the light have been removed forever. But my friends, I'm here to tell you, that's not true. Don't be thrown off by the optical illusion of the thick clouds down on the ground. Isaiah chapter 45, verse seven. Yes, if, if you kind of know a little about, about the Bible, you're probably shocked when you saw it. Yes, he's gonna preach including on 45 verse 7. We stopped short of it. You probably noticed this last Sunday because I wanted to give an opportunity to bridge into this. But as you know, this is one of the most controverted and controversial verses in all of the Bible, if you know much about theology and biblical studies. This is one of the most controversial and controverted verses in all the Bible. And you probably never heard anybody preach on it, right? You definitely don't hear it in a children's Sunday school class. Isaiah 45 verse 7. The message from God 
is that he not only creates light, he also <gasps> creates darkness. He not only creates our times of shalom, in the Hebrew it's shalom there, that's why I was, the ESV has well-being and that's fine, but it's, it's really shalom, full-fledged full peace, what the choir just sang about. He not only creates shalom, but he, he himself creates and brings forth calamity, as the ESV has it. If you got an old King James with you, you'll see it, it's their shocking evil. What are we going to do with that? Well, let's begin by remembering that as David says in his beautiful Psalm 139, contemplating our human lives in the full span of it. Even light is darkness and darkness is light. And in you, there is no darkness because the darkness becomes light. If... I say, Psalm 139, verse 11, if I say to you, it says, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even darkness is not darkness to you. The night is as bright as day. Go figure that, right? For darkness is as light to you, O Lord. You struggling with things in our nation, in your own life? Clouds look really dark. David was able to say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, you want to talk about dark. You ever been that? Most of them haven't been that dark, right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. And who is you? The Lord. And who is the Lord? He is the light of men, as John says. The light shines in the darkness. Yes, let me repeat that. John chapter 1. The light shines in the darkness. 1-4, right? And the darkness cannot comprehend the light. It's Reformation Sunday. We, we have to refer to Romans and Galatians a little bit, and I'll just refer to them periodically in this sermon. So, um, Romans 8, 28. Parents, I hope you are teaching this to your children. I hope you know it yourself. For we know that in all things, that's right, I just said, Paul just said, God just said, in all things, God causes all things to work together for good. Wait a minute, you mean the darkness too? You mean the bad times too? Yeah, yeah. God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. Yeah, Calvinist, the elect. God's people, he's working all things in your life, everything that happens, and in all the human history, he can work with it all and bring about his purposes for his people and for Zion that the choir just sang about. So, 
let's look at this combination. As you can see in the sermon notes, if you're following the sermon notes, I went ahead and combined these two. Uh, never heard, I, I doubt these have ever been preached as central verses for Reformation Sunday or for the Protestant affirmation of the gospel, the New Testament gospel, but I can tell you, just kind of in reflecting on this, um, Isaiah 45, 7 and 8, it's basically the gospel. Here it is. Here's the gospel and the, the whole story of the Bible. God says, I form light and create darkness. I make, literally here the Hebrew asa would be, I accomplish, I accomplish peace. I accomplish peace. I accomplish well-being, shalom. And I create calamity. I am Jehovah. I'm, I'm the Lord who does all of these things. In other words, we're not talking about dualism here. We're not talking about, well, the devil gets to run hell. No, no, no. Who's sovereign over hell? Is the devil sovereign? No, no, no. God. Who's sovereign over the bad things? The little demons? No, no, no. What does Jesus teach us when he comes? Who has sovereignty over all things? God himself, right? I'm the Lord who does all these things. So then listen to this. Next verse, eight. It's our gospel for today. Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open so that salvation and righteousness, you hear that? So that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. God's ready for fruit on the earth. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I the Lord have created it. Now, I want you to get the visual on this. Does the desert dry ground work with God to produce the water? Is it basically the desert does about 30% of the rain and God does about 70%? Or the dirt starts it off and then God responds because the dirt has been so faithful and therefore God saves the land? Is that the way it works with rain? No, every drop of rain, every bit of righteousness and salvation is from God above. Did you hear that gospel? That's what God just said. That's, that, that's, that's 45 verse 8 there. God is working through the dark clouds to rain down righteousness. If you don't get that, you're missing the Bible, God, and the gospel. But if you do get it, it'll rock your world and you'll be different than everybody else. You'll believe in God and who he really is. Salvation comes from God alone. He's going to say this again in 45 several times, but, but this verse just told us this. And this is the Protestant Reformation. This is the gospel. This is the return to gospel. Righteousness from God alone, raining down from heaven through dark clouds, even the cross. God's big picture word in the cycle, the penultimate cycle of Isaiah 38 through 55, and really we've been focusing on 40 through 55 the last couple of months. God says, fear not. It's a command. Don't be afraid. He repeats it seven times in this sequence in 40 through 55. Repent and believe. Fear not. Reject idolatry. Now, God's not just talking to people back then. He's talking to you and me. We have idols. You got idols? It's, it's your projection of your own wishes and your own 
desire to control life and your life and to have all the answers, right? There's a lot of idolatry right now in our government, in our nation, in our culture, on the TV, on the internet. God says, reject idolatry and human glory. Live by faith in me, in me alone. Repent and wait on me, those who wait on the Lord, who wait on the rain from heaven, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. We've already heard that as the introduction into this part of the series on Isaiah from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, right? Fear not, seven times, running from chapter 41 all the way through 44. And then God says repeatedly, repeatedly, calling the nations and the idolaters to court and calling them to task and calling us to task, to reality checks. God says, God prophesies this in Isaiah, in this cycle of Isaiah. It's amazing. God says, I will restore my people and restore Jerusalem through my Messiah that I've chosen, my, my anointed one. He's going to be an uncircumcised pagan. He's not even going to know who I am. And that's how I'm going to move physically the beginning of this story from old, destroyed Jerusalem all the way to a new Zion. He's, not gonna, he's gonna build a physical Zion or get it started. My son's gonna actually really build a big house. But I'm gonna use this pagan and I will redeem and save my people through another one who's gonna come, the servant that I'm gonna start telling you about through Isaiah. And you can read it in Isaiah 42, 49, 50, 52, and 53 of Isaiah. And it's a guy who is going to be so righteous and so anointed by God um, that he's gonna be perfect and perfectly submissive to God's will. He's gonna be abused, third servant prophecy in Isaiah 50, all the way through, he's gonna die for your transgressions. You're gonna totally reject him, my people. And he's gonna stand in place of you He's gonna die by his stripes, you're gonna be healed. For your iniquity, he's gonna die, but he's gonna rise again, he's gonna see light. That's how I'm gonna do it. God keeps saying this in Isaiah 43, 55. Um, but you can understand and what, what's going on in the dynamic of this Isaiah 45 chapter is obviously to Jews in the time of Isaiah in the late eighth and early seventh century BC, as they're seeing Assyria seeming to be the dark cloud all over them. And then later generations, all the way through the Babylonian destruction of Jerusalem and the captivity of the exiles in Babylon, they gotta be saying, wait a minute, God. First of all, if you destroyed your temple, we're done. You're toast and we're toast, right? And God's saying, no, 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 I'm not toast at all. <laughs> I'm actually moving through all this stuff that's happening in history. I create calamity. Okay, so then we say, look, okay, God, if you are still there and do still love us, then we've read the playbook, and here's the way it needs to work. It obviously needs to be one of us that's going to bring us back to Jerusalem and allow the city of Jerusalem to be built. So here, we've read the story before. What you need to do is take a little Jewish baby who's in exile in Babylon and have his mama try to hide him in like a basket out in the Tigris or the Euphrates River and have one of the princesses of Babylon, uh, you know, save him and adopt him into the royal household. And then one of our own people, 
one of the Jews, he'll rise up and stand against the Babylonian emperor, and he will lead us into restoration. Okay, you don't like that one, God? I got another one for you. Uh, little shepherd boy. There's no way he can win, but you're going to be with him. One of us, one of our guys that can be our own Jewish hero, and he's going to stand against the giant of Babylon and defeat them. And God says, no, I've already got it planned. 150 years from now, from that house of Cyrus that you guys aren't even paying attention to. Yeah, yeah. And it's not going to be the Babylonians at all. See, the Medes combined with the Persians are going to take out Babylon. I'm talking about Persia now. You guys are way behind on this thing. And I'm going to choose a pagan, uncircumcised guy who does not even know me. A Persian emperor. And he's going to give the edict in 539 and 538. He's going to conquer Babylon. Babylon's going to fall like a house of cards to him. You think it's like the People's Republic of China that will be ascendant into eternity? No, no, no. They're going to go down really fast. And I've chosen this pagan guy. I've got him marked out. He doesn't, he's not even been born yet. But when he comes, he's going to do this. Servant. Okay, well, okay, God, uh, the servant, though. We don't like the servant prophecies because, see, we, we're going to accept our Messiah when he comes. We're going to, like, know him and believe him because we're really faithful. We pray all the time. We obviously will know your chosen one when he comes to save our souls. And if Cyrus is the one who's going to get us out of Babylon, if he's the one, if the servant's the one who's going to get Babylon out of us, you know, that's salvation, right? It's not when you get out of Babylon. It's when you get the Babylon out of you. If he's the one who's going to do this, we are obviously going to accept him and applaud him as our king. No, 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 God says, you're going to reject him. You're going to kill him. But through his death and through his blood, I'm going to save your soul. I'm going to get the Babylon out of you for everyone who will believe in him. And so surely all the Jews are objecting generation after generation. What is this? And God says, listen to me. Isaiah 45, 9 through 13. Don't argue with God about the dark clouds and detours he gives for your deliverance. Now, let me tell you, my friend, that is a message not just in great macro history in the Bible. That is a message for you and me. Stop arguing with God. Why did this happen? Why did God allow this to happen? Oh, our nation is in such a trouble. How could God let this happen? We're the good people after all. Why did God allow him to break up with me? Why did God allow my mom to become ill? And God says, stop arguing with me, pots. I'm the potter. You broken shards. If you're going to get restored, glory in the way I'm going to restore you and stop arguing with me about your broken pieces. In fact, you're just one of the broken pieces I'm going to form together, Israel. I'm going to go to all the nations, everyone who will repent and turn to me. So do you get the message and application? Stop arguing with God and ask for his perspective on the dark clouds. He's working through all things in your life. So then, um, Isaiah 45, 20 through 21, you see I've got it marked out in the notes for you. The Lord repeats. 
He's been saying this a lot, you know, the sermon Reed preached a little while ago, it's happening there, it's happening here again. He summons to court and judgment the Gentiles, the Gentile idolaters and their false gods and says, you guys and your gods don't know anything. Your experts who you tried out on TV, they do not know anything about the real future. I'm the one. And here's why. Number two, only God... He said it a bunch of times. He's going to say it again now. I'm the only one who actually creates, really creates history. And because I create it, I know it. So when you want to talk about the real future, I'm the only one who can tell you because I'm the one who gives it to you in the first place. And then God says this too. I'm the only Lord and Savior. Turn to me. And this is the amazing thing. You see it marked out there, the amazing bridge. God could say that all the idolaters, therefore, you're doomed. You're going to hell. Forget you all and forget your... He says, all you idolaters, all you people who trusted in the wrong gods, to the ends of the earth, anyone who will turn to me can be saved through my son. Have you trusted in things that aren't God? I have good news for you today. You can turn today and believe in God. Are you tired of trusting in the experts or what your best friends post on Facebook? Is that really making your soul pure and history great? Well, turn to God. The Lord repeats his summons, but then he extends his gospel call to everyone. And he makes this really clear to the ends of the earth. That means out to the, you know, out, out bank Gentiles, turn and be saved. Believe in him who justifies the ungodly. Hey, it's Reformation Sunday. You got to hear this. Romans 4, 5, one of the more shocking verses in the New Testament. After saying that, you know, if your wages, if your salvation is based on what you do, this is Romans 4, 4, you've got a false gospel and you're not saved. If you think you're justifying yourself before God, you've never believed in Jesus and you're not saved. But then he says in 4, 5, Romans 4, 5, the one who believes in the God who justifies the ungodly, it's accounted to him faith unto righteousness. Wait a minute. I wanted to justify myself. I wanted to value signal and virtue signal myself. No, no, no. God says, here's the gospel. Every ounce of rain comes down from me. Every bit of righteousness is for me. A righteousness, as Paul says, that is not of ourselves and not of the law, but from God. That's the Protestant Reformation right there. Believe in him who justifies the ungodly. He can justify you. He can justify you today. A righteousness from God that depends on faith, Philippians 3, 9. So today I want to invite you to receive and live by righteousness that God rains down from heaven. Stop trying to prove yourself. In fact, if you try to prove yourself, you're on the road to hell. Okay? Stop trying to be the good boy for God and justify your salvation. But on the other side of this, if you will receive the rain, what does he want from the rain? Does he want the desert to say desert and unproductive? No. See, you just got to get the order right. It's not that we're obedient and therefore we're saved, but once we're saved, we will be obedient and fruitful. 
So God says he's raining down righteousness to bring forth fruit. He's not just talking about gardening, folks. He's talking about your life and my life. He's raining down righteousness so that we will bear much fruit. The joy of Christians deep down comes from knowing that everything, our salvation, love, everything that is good comes from God. And by his righteousness, he has the power to pour out his righteousness and spirit within your soul and change your life, your family, your neighborhood, and the world through you. Martin Luther knew that. He trusted in God. John Calvin knew that. John Knox knew that. And I'm asking you, I'm inviting you to know that, to know that God and that gospel, the Savior also. Come to him and live a new life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.